predicts a revived Roman Empire will rise to power in the end times. The Bible also identifies several key Middle Eastern and African nations that will play a key role during the end times. But where is America in Bible prophecy? As the current superpower, will she play a key role or will some event take place that will cause her downfall? If so, what will cause the future demise of America from her superpower status? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we're going to listen to Pat's guest, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, who recently presented a message at the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference entitled, The Late Great United States. Let's join Dr. Hitchcock now as he presents his message on The Late Great United States. This is something fascinating, though. This was December 7th of 2009 in Newsweek. Notice the headline there, How Great Powers Fall. Fascinating article. In it, it said this, This is how empires decline. It begins with a debt explosion. It ends with an inexorable reduction in the army and the navy and the air force. They went through all these great powers from the past. I mean, some of them, you know, centuries ago. And showed how they amassed these massive debts. And when they got these debts, they couldn't then afford their military. And to keep things going, they had to keep shrinking their military, which ultimately made them vulnerable to attack and brought about the end of the empires. See, people don't realize whenever you're amassing debt like we're amassing, there's the financial issue, but it trickles down to everything else, including the military. And of course, we need military, you know, in every area today more than any time in history because of all the dangers that are out there. Another plausible scenario is just the whole oil crisis. The world uses about 86 million barrels of oil a day, and we use one out of four of them here in the United States. We import about two-thirds of our oil. You know, back in 1973, when the Arab oil embargo hit, and we had the long lines, you know, and boy, all the politicians were saying, we can't be dependent on this foreign oil. We've got to get out from underneath this. Back then, we imported 35% of our oil. Now it's two-thirds of our oil. Something I thought was interesting, I read a while back, the total value of the United States of America is $56 trillion. So if you take the whole United States, our nation, I don't know how they figure this up, but our nation is worth $56 trillion. That's 400 billion barrels of oil at $140 a barrel, and Saudi Arabia and Iran have about that much oil. So at $140 a barrel, the oil in Saudi Arabia and Iran could buy the United States for $56 trillion. I mean, those countries over there, they have us over a barrel, don't they? They really do. We consume more gasoline than the next 20 countries combined. We consume 7.6 billion barrels of oil each year in the United States. This is something a lot of you probably heard this. This was attributed to Alexander Fraser Teitler years ago. He said, the average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations always progress through the following sequence, from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. Now, I'll let you figure out where we are on that scenario there, but I don't think we're in uh, any of the first three stages that are there. Back in 1857, a man named Thomas Macaulay wrote this, 
Your republic will be as fearfully plundered and laid waste by barbarians in the 20th century as the Roman Empire was in the 5th century. With this difference, the Huns and the Vandals who ravaged the Roman Empire came from without. Your Huns and Vandals will have been engendered within your own country. One of the plausible scenarios for the fall of the United States is God's abandonment and taking His hand off of the United States because of the sin in our nation. Robert Bork years ago, in his book Slouching Towards Gomorrah, he said, American culture is complex and resilient, but it is also not to be denied there are many aspects of almost every branch of our culture that are worse than ever before, and the rot is spreading. There have been 50 million abortions in America since it was legalized. Did you know that according to the Centers for Disease Control, 26% of girls 14 to 19 years of age in America have at least one sexually transmitted disease? One out of four girls 14 to 19 in America. 80% of the material on the internet is pornography. It's a $12 billion a year industry. Out of wedlock birth is almost the new norm now. It's almost 50-50 in this country. In 1948, 3.8% of babies were born out of wedlock. In 1960, it had gone up to about 5%, and now it's almost 50%. In fact, I saw a big article the other day that said, out of wedlock birth, the new norm. And 25% of evangelical Christians, 18 to 29, favor homosexual marriage. It's interesting. I mean, the younger generation doesn't see things biblically the way they should in these matters. What we see, though, is exactly what is spoken of in the Bible in Romans 1, 18 to 32. If you have your Bible, open up there, Romans 1, 18 to 32. I won't have time to look at this in detail, but I just want to mention this a very important passage because it talks about the wrath of God, and I call this the wrath of abandonment, when God abandons people to their own sin. When we think about God's wrath, there are really three aspects to the wrath of God. There is the direct wrath of God, like what God did at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? When God just comes and directly pours out His wrath on people. There's another aspect of God's wrath that we could call eschatological wrath, or uh, the wrath in the future, in the day of the Lord, when God's going to pour out His wrath during the tribulation. But a third aspect of the wrath of God that most people don't think about is what we call the wrath of abandonment where God's wrath is expressed by Him simply abandoning people to their own sin. And notice Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's not future. It says it's happening now. And he goes on down in verse 23, and he says that they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over. God handed them over to the lusts in their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who's blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. The same way the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And look at verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. 
Now, what's significant about this passage is this. It's saying, look, when you see these things happening in a culture, this is not saying that if you see this stuff, it means God is going to judge you. It says when you see this stuff, it's the sign God already is judging you. He's judging you with the wrath of abandonment. He's just turning you over to your sin. And notice the first time it says God gave them over, you could really call that the sexual revolution in a culture. When people turn their hearts to impurity and their bodies are dishonored. And then in verse 26, it says God gave them over, and you could call that a homosexual revolution. And then in verse 28 and following, you could just call that section there really where people call good evil and evil good, where evil's openly encouraged. Now, I'm 52 years of age, and I was born in 1959, and in my lifetime, really, I've seen the sexual revolution in America in the, 50, in the 60s and 70s. Beginning in the early 80s, I would say, is when the homosexual revolution began, and it's still here. And we just see the open encouragement of evil today. And it's saying here that when those things are happening in a culture, it's the sign that God is giving people over. And by the word, when it says God gave them over, it doesn't just mean God took His hands off. It actually means God gives people a push in that direction. Now, God doesn't make people sin. He's never the author of sin. But it's saying when people make a self-willed choice to turn away from God and to go their own way, God says, go ahead and go for it. And he, and he pushes them in that direction, and He abandons them. And it's the wrath of God's abandoning people to their sin. Now you say, well, man, is it all over for America? Then, Well, I don't know. Look, I don't know what God's plans are. Could there be a revival? Could God stem the tide? None of us know that, but I'm just simply sharing with you what's in this passage tonight, and it's sobering. It's another scenario where America may not fall from the outside, but we could fall from the inside. Now, one other plausible scenario, and this is the one I like the best, and this is my, the one that I believe, is I think the fall of America ultimately is going to come at the rapture. So I don't know if we're going to fall from the outside or the inside, but we're going to, there's certainly going to be a fall from the upside, maybe, if you will, as the rapture takes place. Think about this as... In America, if 8 to 10% of the people in America are true born-again believers, as statistics would say, that's 30 million people going to disappear in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, you talk about a drop on the Dow Jones the next day, and you talk about a mortgage crisis. I mean, think what the rapture will do to this country. I like this sign here from a church in Denton, Texas, the rapture, separation of church and state. Now, I do have to point out here that this is a sign from Texas, and they did spell the word separation wrong on their sign there. I just have to point that out. That, you know, Texans are not real good on that kind of stuff, but I still do like the sign, though. I mean, because when the rapture comes one of these days, it is going to be the separation of church and state, isn't it? As the believers go to be with the Lord in heaven. And again, think about what that's going to do to this country. I mean, over in Europe and most places in the Middle East, it's less than 1% of the people who really believe that we're saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. So it could be that the rapture will be this devastating event that will take America from superpower status to second-rate status overnight. Or it could be that you're going to have a lot of these things we've talked about tonight and maybe other things happen in some kind of a confluence together. Think about all the problems we're having in this country, and then think about the rapture taking place on top of that. And 30 million people, the salt and the light, being extracted out in the time it takes to blink your eye. What that would do 
to this country. And of course, that's based on the pre-trib rapture view that I hold. So here's the conclusions I have. America's not mentioned in the Bible. America is Israel's main defender today. At least we still are. I pray we stay that way. I'll talk about that in a moment. Number three, it seems to me like, at least the way things exist today, that we have to remain strong until the end times begin to continue our defense of Israel. I mean, think if we, if we turned on Israel, where they would be. Seems like God has America in place to protect the nation of Israel. But the scriptural silence concerning America in the end times indicates that America will fall from her position of world prominence. Number five, world power in the end times is centered in the reunited Roman Empire, at least from the midpoint on of the tribulation. Number six, European prominence can only be explained in light of U.S. decline. And number seven, I think the U.S. will suffer her decline, or maybe we could say the tragic fall at the rapture of the church. That's the way I see this playing out. Now, after the rapture, what will we do when we fall from superpower status? Well, it could be that America is going to join up with the reunited Roman Empire. Here's what Dr. Walvard said. Although the Scriptures do not give any clear word concerning the role of the United States in relationship to the revived Roman Empire and the later development of the world empire, it's probable the United States will be in some form of alliance with the Roman ruler. Based on geographic, religious, and economic factors, such an alliance of powers seems a natural sequence of present situations in the world. And I won't take time to read this quote, but basically Dr. Ryrie uh, says the same place. Notice his last sentence there. He says, this would mean the United States haven for Christianity for two centuries will find herself in league uh, with the Antichrist. It certainly could be. Now, one question that always comes up at this point is, could the Antichrist come from America? A lot of people today are asking if the Antichrist could be an American. A lot of people are asking if he could be a certain particular American today that they're wondering about. I won't mention who that is, but, you know, since about 1960s, uh, every American president has been associated with the Antichrist by about somebody. I think maybe Gerald Ford and, and maybe Jimmy Carter were the only two exceptions to that. But I thought I'd mention this because a lot of people think that the Antichrist will be an American president. There's one verse in the Bible that tells us the background, the ethnic background, if you will, of the Antichrist. And it's Daniel 9.26. And it says there that the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by the Romans. Now, I don't think that means the Antichrist necessarily has to be an Italian but it means he's going to come from the people who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and that, of course, is from the confines of the Roman Empire. Now, some will say, well, but America, you know, we came from Europe. You know, most of the people who came here, at least originally, were European, came from that area. So by extension, you know, could he be an American? To me, it's a stretch to say that. Like he's going to come from somewhere in the confines of the Roman Empire. And by the way, let me just say this. The Antichrist isn't going to be revealed until after the rapture. So don't go around trying to figure out who he is. If you ever figure out who he is, I got bad news for you. You've been left behind. <laughs> you don't want to know who the Antichrist is. But he will be revealed at that time. And also one other question I get asked, will American troops be at Armageddon? And I think they will be. That last great battle, notice Zechariah 14:2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. Think about that. When the believers are taken out of this country, I think America is going to turn against Israel possibly as well, which would just hasten the judgment upon our country. 
Let me just mention a couple of things here. We'll close and we'll go to the Q&A section. But I see three keys to continuing of America to experiencing national blessing. Because you say tonight, well, boy, it's a lot of bad news. What can we do? Do we just kind of throw in the towel here tonight and say, well, it's all over with, you know, and forget about it? Well, no, I don't think we do that at all. We don't know God's timetable. I see three things in the Bible we can do. There are a lot more than this, but let me just mention these three quickly. The first one is we need to be a blessing to the Jewish people. The only foreign policy statement I know of in the Bible that applies to every country is this. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. That's a foreign policy statement that's never been taken out of the Scripture. And history has verified this principle. Have you ever noticed that every time somebody tries to wipe out the Jews, the Jews always end up with a holiday? Remember Pharaoh tried to wipe them out and they got Passover. Remember that uh, Haman in the book of Esther tried to wipe them out and they got the Feast of Purim. Antiochus Epiphanes tried to wipe them out in the intertestamental period and they got Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. Hitler tried to wipe them out in the 1930s and 40s and they got May the 14th of 1948, the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. Whenever people have come against the Jewish people, those people are always destroyed and they always survive. And God is not through with the Jewish people. And He watches how individuals and how nations treat them. So the United States, I think, has been good to the Jewish people, and God has blessed this country. Now, I don't think America has to, you know, bow down to Israel and just do everything Israel wants us to do or rubber stamp every decision they make in the Knesset. But it means we need to be a friend and be a blessing to the Jewish people. And in the United States, we were one of the first countries to recognize the state of Israel in 1948. And much of the money needed to sustain that state came from the United States government or prosperous American Jews. And I think after the rapture, with all the believers gone, America may turn against Israel, as I said, which will hasten America's judgment. But we need to do what we can in our local governments, our state government, especially in our national government, to see that uh, we continue to support and we're a blessing to the Jewish people. It's a principle that's been verified throughout history time and time again. I will bless those who bless you. Notice how specific it is actually in the Hebrew. And the one who curses you, I must curse, God says. So this is the first key, to be a blessing to the Jewish people. A second key would be to be a blessing to the nations. In Romans 10, 15, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Another reason I think God has blessed America is we've taken the good news to the world. We've been a missionary nation. And God says that the feet of those who bring good news of good things, they're beautiful. And we don't often think of people's feet being the most beautiful part of their body. But God says the feet that take the good news of the gospel to people who need to hear it, they're beautiful. So in our country too, we see, I think, a slacking off of that a little bit in many churches of taking the gospel to the world. We need to be be about that as a nation. It's a key to receiving the blessing of God individually and as families, but also as churches and as a country. Final thing I'd mention here is this. We need to practice and promote righteousness. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. 
We need to promote righteousness and practice righteousness in our country. We need to, to vote for people who will promote and practice righteousness. But let me just say this. We need to live righteous lives ourselves. You know, we can sit around very easily and say, well, you know, these politicians are ungodly and we got all these problems and all this, you know, abortion in our culture and, and all the wickedness and the drugs and all these other things. But you know what? If we aren't living a righteous life ourselves, we are contributing to the pollution. You remember in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 1 through 5, Isaiah is, through God, is declaring woes upon the nation of Judah. He's saying, woe unto you for this, and woe unto you for that, for all the things that are going wrong in the nation. But when he gets to chapter 6 and he sees God high and lifted up, what does he say? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. You know, we can sit back, and I do this a lot of times. You watch TV, and these people doing this and doing that, all the bad stuff they're doing that's bringing our country down. But then sometimes I look at what I'm doing in my own life, I'm contributing to the corruption in our own country. Before we can lambast everybody else in the culture for what they're doing, we need to be living righteous lives ourselves. And let me just say this, because it's such a prevalent problem today. You know, the, the pornography and all that's out there today, we can decry our culture all we want to, but if we're involved in that ourselves and being involved in buying that and purchasing that and looking at that stuff all the time, we're contributing to the downfall of our country. So we need to make it personal in our own lives. It's easy to say, woe is everybody else. It's good sometimes to step back and say, woe is me. What do I need to do in my life? Because ultimately, the only life that I can control to change this country is my own. And if we each take that responsibility to live our lives for the Lord, then uh, maybe we'll get somewhere. There's a great story by Donald Gray Barnhouse. Whenever anybody would come up and ask him about end-time prophecy, they'd ask him some question. He would always ask them, do you know 1 John 3.3? And if they said, well, no, I don't know it, he said, well, go look that verse up and then come ask me your question. Because 1 John 3.3 says, everyone who fixes his hope on him, that is on the Lord, purifies himself, even as he himself is pure. Saying there, look, if you've got your hope fixed on the Lord, it's a purifying hope. And in this conference, we've been talking about the Lord's coming. If we're really focused on the coming of Jesus Christ, that what he's done for us, and what He's going to do for us, and when He comes again, one of the results it ought to have is a purifying influence upon our lives. And again, let me say tonight, as I did last night, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what you need to do. You need to take Him to be your Savior. One of my favorite old poems says this, Savior, at Thy feet I fall, my Lord, my hope, my life, my all. For I have nowhere else to flee, no sanctuary, Lord, but Thee. Jesus Christ is the only sanctuary we have. And if you've never fled to Him, that's what you need to do tonight. You need to, to flee to Jesus Christ and put your hope and trust in Him. I read a great quote by Corey Ten Boom a while back. She said this, If you look at this world, you'll get distressed. If you look within, you'll get depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And I like that. You watch TV enough, and you look at this world, I can tell you, you're going to get distressed. And you spend a lot of time looking in your own life, you're going to get depressed. But if you spend time looking at Christ, you're going to be at rest. And that's what we need to do in these times in which we live. We need to focus on Christ and let Him bring rest to our own heart and life. Be moved by that to trust in Him and to rest in Him. And then 
to live for him in this culture and to be the salt and the light and the influence that we can be. And, and also, as 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, to pray for those in authority in our country. Not just those that we agree with. In fact, I'd say if you disagree with them, pray for them more. We need to pray for those in leadership in our country, that God will give them wisdom and that they'll see that they don't have wisdom. And they'll turn to him for that great wisdom they need. I think it's interesting on the Washington Monument, and again, I haven't been up there and seen this, but I've read this. The Washington Monument's 555 feet tall. On the eastern side of the aluminum capstone is inscribed with the words, and I'm no Latin scholar, so if I mispronounce it, forgive me, but Laos Dei, which means praise be to God. David Jeremiah, in one of his books, mentions this. I, I got this from him. And so he said, the first rays to strike the nation's capital each day fall upon those words. Isn't that interesting? The, the first rays of light, since it's 555 feet tall, the first rays of light that hit our nation's capital each day fall upon those words, praise be to God. And again, we can look at our country and decry what's happening, but as I read that to myself, I thought, is that true in my life? As the light of God shines upon my life each day, is that what's happening? Is praise being given to God through my own life? So I'd encourage you to think about that and think about what you're doing and how you're being an influence and a witness and an ambassador for Christ in these times in which we live. Let's close in prayer together. This concludes Dr. Mark Hitchcock's study on the late, great United States. I hope you were challenged by his message to engage in the study of Bible prophecy. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. And you can listen to this message and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Also, the entire series from the 2012 Hawaii Apologetics Conference featuring Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Kirby Anderson, and other fine teachers is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by the teachings of Pat's guests, like Dr. Mark Hitchcock, please support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat and his friends continue to provide reasons for faith and hope right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.